Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon-to-be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Welcome to season four, episode six of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I am joined today with Anne Helen Stee, who in my life was a nurse for a very brief moment of time on my neuro unit with me, and then went away, went bye-bye, and then found ourselves again through social media. She made a post about her trauma experiences as a nurse, but not traumas in working with a trauma unit, although she does have experience in doing that, but trauma in a way that she experienced PTSD. She has one episode of a podcast recording. I hope that she continues to do so because I would love to listen to more episodes of it. And Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nicole. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. I ask everybody this question right off the bat. Why did you become a nurse? I think uh, it was to help people. Um, I actually first was accepted to Penn State as a graphic designer, believe it or not. Um, I took a gap year and really did some thinking before starting college and realized that, you know, I'd be able to be helping people, you know, through graphic design, but in a very um, distance removed way, you know, if, if I was working for some sort of company, you know, that that wouldn't actually be impactful on um, a very tangible, scale where I could see things happening. So um, I thought about it a little bit and decided I wanted I wanted to be a nurse. I liked working with people. I liked being with people. And um, yeah, so I went into the nursing program at Penn State. Now, was that a difficult transition going from graphic designer to nurse? Did you already have like this love of science behind you? Did you kind of know walking into it, what you're getting yourself into? Well, I think that's really interesting because I don't think people really know what they're walking into until they do it. And that's very much such a nursing thing. Like even I'll tell you, like I've been a nurse now for seven years and you're like, oh, that, you know, that might not sound like a lot, but I've worked at about 11 different hospitals. I've been traveling for a while. And um, I feel like from start, like literally like day one of college to even now, like you don't really know what you're walking into. Like, I I didn't realize there was gonna be so much science and I do do have a love of chemistry. I love physiology. Um, So that just kind of catered to natural interests, not ones that I specifically um, had an awareness that, you know, there was going to be such an in-depth study. I just, I was, I didn't really know what a nurse really was, honestly, um, or what was expected of me. I just kind of thought, you know what, this, this is, seems like something I, I want to do. Um, and, um, it, it was a transition just kind of like shifting and pivoting. Um, because I do feel like once you go into nursing, it's so nice because there's a lot of, um, movement laterally within the medical field, but you kind of get stuck in the 
this bubble a little bit. So uh, you're kind of jumping into a profession that's very specialized. And I know I, I, I'm kind of feeling, I'm, I'm feeling that a little bit, I'll say. Yeah, it's, th- that's a really good point that you make when you say that you jump into something so specialized. Because in, in, in my world, in, in my mind, I hear graphic designer and I'm like, you can do so much with your nursing degree with a background in graphic design, no matter if you have an actual degree in it, right? If you studied it a little bit, because there's such neat things happening, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's hard, right? Like when, when you jump into a hospital right away and you think that that's the only thing that you should do or you need to do as a nurse, you can feel very boxed in as you're describing, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes those things can feel so limiting, but I always encourage people, you know, students, you know, as well, use those background, like t- um, talents that you have and try to kind of like think of something outside the box. I don't know what it is for everyone, right? Because I meet a lot of nurses as well that have like backgrounds in like psych or interior design I've met, um, industrial psychology, communications, social work, oh, wow. like name it. And it's like this whole broad spectrum of things. So it's really interesting to kind of hear you kind of confirm that as well and realize that like, you know, like when you start in nursing, if you're going to start in a hospital, it is very like boxy, right? It's like super specialized patient hospital, boom, but you can do so much more, um, especially like things in like public health and all that sector too, that mm. it's kind of to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something I am going to look into a little bit more. I think again, like having been a travel nurse, you know, in some ways it's so nice because you do gain so much experience. You meet so many great people but then you are so much more tied to the hospital because you're, you don't have time to really get to know too, too much else, uh, do more questioning, research it. I mean, obviously you can look on the internet, but for me, um, unless I see and feel things, you know, hence why I went into nursing in the, you know, right off the bat. Um, if I'm not actually speaking to someone who uh, was able to, creatively find a niche for themselves Mm -hmm. um it doesn't really feel real for me so um yeah I'm excited to see where the next step is going to be for me it might be one more contract it might be something completely outside of nursing or it might just be getting a staff position somewhere and working part-time and then kind of exploring the different um opportunities yes we'll see yeah absolutely I've always thought of like when when I was a staff nurse I was like well this is my base salary and then I went on to do like other little things right to kind of like see if there was something outside of what I'm doing that really hit home for me because Mm. I am also very creative I can't stay in one place at once if something if somewhere is not allowing me to be as creative as I can be I need to move and I haven't moved yeah. to this place in like 11 years. So for me, it's been super creative. Um, but I don't think that that's like everybody's case, you know, in, in point, but I think you drive home a really good point with, if you are a creative person, you went to nursing because you're literally told it's the art and science, right? The art comes first and then the science, but we don't really have any art <laughs> in nursing outside mm-hmm. of patient care. Right. And if you think about it, like we need more of that art, the expression, the storytelling, things like that. So you never know, maybe you'll find your niche like somewhere like that. Yeah, I think, and I think it's going to be for a little bit outside of the hospital for sure. 
um, just because I'm finding so much more is being put on the nurses that it can be really hard to, again, with, the, with burnout in general, everywhere, um, short staffing, and again, expectations are being put on a, not just nursing, but a lot of medical staff. I think bringing creativity, it almost feels, it's almost like an, it feels, and I, I know this isn't true, but it feels, and I think it might be received like unnecessary fluff. Um, mm -hmm. in the, right. Like it's almost like somebody hands you a loofah when you don't, you don't need a shower, you need food, right? It's kind right. of one of those things right. where it's like, mm, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> like swat that away. Like, no, thank you. Like, don't want this right now. Um, so we'll see. Um, I don't know. I, what do you think about how hospitals are doing? How do you feel about units? I just feel that right now, some of the nurses, I met some great people and everybody's just feeling, even the younger nurses, even the like very young one, like walking into a unit full of burnout with so many of the staff have left. So there's not a ton of like older senior nurses and like your bulk staff nursing, you know, is supposed to be made up of people between five and what, 20 years of experience. That's where the bulk of your staff should be. Well, most people only have like one to two years experience. That's where most of the staff experiences now on most units and everybody's burnt out. Like, what do you think about that, Nicole? I think, um, so I graduated nursing school in 2008. Sorry. I had to like go back there for a minute. Cause I forgot dates for all of a sudden. <laughs> and, um, I started nursing back when there was a nursing shortage, quote unquote shortage. Okay. Um, there's always a shortage. Um, and what I mean by shortage is that hospitals were on a hiring freeze because of something that happened. I think, I think it perhaps might've been when we had that collapse of our government and the economy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But backtrack to 2006 and 2005. So I did nursing school at a program way before I did nursing school at where I got my, my um, BSN from. And mm -hmm. I remember nurses looking forward to crying on their first day on the unit, right? <gasps> and I'm like, I don't know that this feels right. Like something that's happened didn't feel right about this. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you just like look forward to like this thing? Is this like an initiation thing? You know, what have we done to ourselves? But I say that now, like looking back on it, I just kind of kept my mouth shut because I'm like, well, I don't know any better. I've never been into a hospital. Yeah. I remember clinicals at the time and units being very much like, kind of like, everywhere right there was there was so much going on mm -hmm. um, and I say this looking back right so it's I, everything is always 2020 looking back I'm kind of like well there was no like process in place like how did units run back in the day and then when I started it in my my first job there was no like residency program right mm -hmm. there was none of this like formal stuff and you know there was things that happened but I'm wondering if like the things that we built kind of created this demise right and I say that because mm -hmm. Like we've, we've built these structures, but have we built these structures in a way that have demeaned people or kept them away or didn't support them at the same time mm -hmm. because of how quality of nursing has really increased and how much we really need to care at the bedside. Mm -hmm. So I also will, will mention that I've only been to hospitals um, in the Philadelphia area and in the area where, where I am now. Mm -hmm. And I've heard stories from nurses where units are different kind of wherever you go to 
Um, yeah. Oh think, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's really yeah. odd. Right. And I, and I, from the pandemic have really noticed that hospital systems and structures are not set up for success in every state. Right. Yeah. We almost saw, I think the collapse of the whole entire New York state health system back when COVID really hit big. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that was a fear of almost everybody. And even now, like in this region, uh, in Chester County, there have been two hospitals that have closed down. So now there's Mm -hmm. only one hospital, entire County of Pennsylvania with a lot of people because there's major cities around there and that's a problem. So how do, how do nurses look at that? Stay motivated, right? Um, Mm -hmm. How do nurses lose their jobs and stay motivated? I don't know that it, that it's hit where I currently work. so much in, t- in terms of burnout and stuff. I think other organizations have had it much worse than what I've seen. But I do know that talking from a lot of people who have either traveled to other places as travel nurses, or I've read commentary on Twitter or things like that, it's been really rough. There's yeah. no going around, um, you know, what is happening out there, no one listening to nurses, doing whatever they want to do, and then coming to fight something that you have no kind of like, win over uh, Mm -hmm. or method of following a protocol and then coming out with success stories right yeah because people want to want to play apples and apples and they want to say well diabetes managing that it's just like managing covid in a way and that beats us down because we know a lot more about diabetes than we do covid and i think that's really harped on a lot of uh nurses expertise right they feel beat down if people are not listening to yeah them. we're taking away a lot of like autonomy correct and that's yeah. really tough correct yeah um but i think though that as things like legislation gets passed as well um hopefully you know we we kind of come to this to this way of realizing that we need to have nurses practices at the top of their license no matter what degree and especially you are yeah And we need to allow people to make autonomous decisions. And some units don't have that. Some units have to page 90 times for one thing. And some units have complete autonomy over their decisions because it's built into a nice protocol for them. So there's so many different caveats to it. You know, it's not a simple answer, but it really does beg the conversation of really thinking about why we're in the pickle we're in and why, you know, like these nurses just feel burnt out all of a sudden and what has happened. Because it's not just COVID. It's not just COVID. I mean, that, that was terrible. But like, I almost feel, even though I'm like, in a lot of ways healing from that whole situation, Mm -hmm. I almost feel more exhausted and burnt out and cranky than I did back then, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I know that like the system has to change. It really does. Um, I don't know that our large nursing organizations are really truly caring about the bedside nurse no Uh, I think that there's a lot of discussion around you know trying to change all this and really get a different voice out there because I don't like in in my opinion I've tried I've tried so hard like in the past to be a part of these large orgs right but each time like I'm always like disappointed at like what they're providing you they still charge you a lot of money even though they just charge you for membership and I don't know the value that anyone's getting from this yeah. stuff. So I don't, I, it, it just has to change it in such a way. I don't know what that way is. There's lots of like little things happening, but I don't know what the actual path is going to be. Right. Yeah. Huh. 
And that really is like a top-down issue because I feel like, you know, short of just, I mean, I mean, this, this is the thing is that people are leaving, you know, we don't really have, there's, there's such a shortage of nurses and it's everywhere at this point. I mean, yeah. I and know. I know a lot of people are finding more value in things like corporate nursing, yeah. um, you know, and finding other jobs outside the bedside. So it's not as opportunistic to be a bedside nurse right now. Um, although I will always argue that you have a skill set and things like that, and that you can kind of market yourself towards and get other little gigs um, on the side of being a bedside nurse. It might not be for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you might want to go and just do something completely out of the hospital range. I don't think staff nurses get paid enough, you know. For oh, no. Or text, text either. Or like text, a, right. Especially text, like. Or respiratory therapists or physical therapists. Therapist. Yeah. I just think it's all, you know, it's, it's all backwards. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Re- really quickly, I want to go back because I'm, I'm really interested in learning about the growth of you as a nurse as well. Mm-hmm. So after, and I, I, you graduated in 2015 from Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, you did a postpartum internship in Harrisburg. Did mm-hmm. you go to school at Penn State Harrisburg or Penn State, um, State College, or did you go somewhere else? So the program at State College, since they don't have a larger hospital, it's just the Mount Nittany Hospital, which is a very small community hospital. Um, They'll send you, they'll split up the junior and senior year. And between like group A and group B, group A will say junior year goes to Hershey Mm -hmm. uh, Med Center, and then they'll do a year there and then we'll, we'll flip. So then they'll have, group A will have their senior year at State College while group B will go to Hershey for their senior year. And I was a part of group B. So I finished off with having, um, you know, being close to Harrisburg. So I was able to go and, um, you know, explore Hershey a little bit, which was really wonderful. That was a great place to uh, have clinicals and then um, work with the postpartum unit, which was a lot of fun. That's awesome. And then you went to Chicago you were like yes I did Pennsylvania I'm gonna go to Chicago Uh (laughs) and and work for a hospital in a in a nursery yeah which level 2.5 is that like the highest level is that like a like a medium level so that is it was essentially a NICU but we just didn't do uh major surgeries there okay Mm -hmm. so like we would do like small cardiac surgeries small GI surgeries but anything that was like um seizures neuro would send them out to um Lurie's children hospital in Chicago mm-hmm. okay that's really cool and then you went on to go <laughs> flip your entire life and went from babies to adults yeah <laughs> you worked in, in Pittsburgh moved back to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. where you're from mm-hmm. and worked on a neurosurgery floor Mm-hmm. what was was that challenge so so I get a lot of students I'm asking this because I get a lot of students and they're like I really want to be a peds nurse and I'm like great you want to be a peds nurse because you have this experience I won't get into that, to that experience but mm-hmm. um and then sometimes they realize that peds just not for them sometimes mm-hmm. they love peds sometimes they do peds for a little bit and then they kind of leave peds so was that challenging for you to switch from a pediatric experience to an adult like a whole different experience too like adult neurosurgery this end of the spectrum. How was that? <laughs> um, I think 
like I, it was still, I was still like, like I had moved around enough that I always felt like the new kid. So it was okay. Cause I never felt like I had the ground underneath me solidify enough. Right. So I always kind of felt out of my element. Mm-hmm. So I had that, I actually had that going for me. So it, yeah, I felt weird. And it was like, ew, like this man staring at me from the bed is like 79 years old. What the heck is this? Like, you know, still changing diapers a little different. Uh, but I mean, it, it felt a lot better because what I realized is I love babies and I love kids, but that does not necessarily mean being a nurse for that population is always the best fit. Like I felt so understimulated with the babies. Like I felt the regimen and routine, which is, that's a a lot of like what NICU type of stuff is, is a lot of regimen routine. Uh, You'll kind of see NICU nurses. They're very type A, but that's kind of what you have to be. You know, you have to be so um, regimented, like, and, and that works for them. And that is not me. That is not me at all. So um Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I think the nice part is that most hospitals will let you kind of move around, but um, yeah, it it was a transition, I will say, uh, but it did kind of help me realize like, I like things that are interesting. I like to be mentally stimulated. And if I get bored, that's whenever I find myself really just not engaging. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would be very bored working in peens or or like NICU, neonatal. And the drama. The and the dra- drama. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I can't even. <laughs> I try like, to tell people like you don't necessarily take care of the patient. You take care of the family. Oh, yes. Because it is not what you think it is in nursing school. It is fam- It's almost like trauma drama if you've yes. ever experienced trauma drama because it's like but it's like family drama and you're like I didn't ask for this today but here yeah. it is showing up on my doorstep and I have to yeah. take care of I know it's it's crazy and then like you have to figure out who's visiting who like like the mom can't be in the same room with the dad and then but they don't talk so then if the dad's there you make sure he's not going in when the mom's there and then the right. boyfriend's wanting to come and right. like you, you know but then it's like none of them are related and then baby daddy's out in the hallway it's ridiculous <laughs> you know what I mean related. oh this man is why yeah. I'm literally like <sighs> going to um start uh, I'm, I'm thinking about writing a book and it's going to be called the the husband the wife and the mistress Counseling the husband of the wife of the mistress on point right it's on point because you know it's like every every icu it doesn't matter if you work in like a NICU and neonatal whatever uh-huh. it's the similar principle of like all these people just come out of the woodwork because you meet the patient uh-huh. but then you meet his, their wife or their husband or their partner and then you meet that partner's partner and then that person's wife and it's, it's a whole mm-hmm. thing and you're like I am normal. Like you start to realize somehow. No, it's so nice. It's, it's kind of nice. It's like, I feel like I'm crazy. And then like, you see all this and you're like, you know what? I, I'm not doing too bad. Like I brush my teeth. I put on my pants. I'm at work right now. Like you're not right. Brush your teeth. Good for myself. Yeah. I, I, I will say, uh, starting in in the ICU, I never realized how many people don't brush your teeth. Don't brush their hair don't yes. take care of their, their toenails 
and yes. are severely not taking care of their skin. And Lord knows what else they're doing, but those are the top four things I can think of that I really just surprised me about humans. The teeth stories, Nicole. The teeth stories. Like I remember baby nurse, baby nurse, okay. And I, I went in, my preceptor was like, you know, go ahead and give this man his oxys. I was like, okay, you know, cool, cool, cool. So I bring in his breakfast tray, give him his oxys, and you know, he pops them and then he's like kind of like chewing and he's chewing, but I'm like, okay, he hasn't eaten his food yet. And then he just casually like spit something out and puts it on his tray I look I was like sir is that a part of your tooth and he goes oh yeah this happens all the time I was like does it hurt he's like oh no don't worry about it the rest will come out later I was like, <laughs> like I gotta leave I can here's some suction this. here's a really big board suction oh. you can take care of that for me because I'm not gonna do that Nicole he was like 32 oh ma'am he was like 32 like losing did he, did they, did this person have a problem with, with like drug use? I'm just curious, like, were, he were straight they, up, he, I was like, I was like, does this happen a lot? And he's like, oh yeah, it's because I chew on my oxys. I was like, oh, that'll do it. So, I mean, but I feel like that also happens because you don't brush your teeth or go to the dentist. Or just, my brush opinion, your teeth. just my opinion, right. Or then just don't follow up with the dentist every nine months. Just an opinion here. I don't know this person's case, obviously, but wow. Yeah. yeah. And then the other part of it, you know, when you're dealing with babies, you have really cute, adorable bowel movements. I will say that. Right. That's that though. They will get explosive. Like I've actually it's had right. to like sidestep and like jump out of the way right. is like, you get shot by projectile, like poop, just shooting out of this tiny, tiny little thing. It's like a, how much came out B the amount of pressure. It's just amazing. No, you know, no I wonder why you were crying. Right. You know, little baby. They feel better. Baby I feel like it's, it's easier to understand babies that way because it's kind of like there's only a couple things that make them upset gas uh-huh. I gotta poop i need food or i need to be healthy yes. mm-hmm. pretty much mm-hmm. it i think right and then you get to adult world and it, no matter how much they go you still can't you can't still can't make them feel nice because they're just i know i'm there too nicole it's like <laughs> i fed myself i pooped i'm still crying what's wrong <laughs> some days you have to see, and some days in the adult world you have to, you have to set to the side because you're just like i don't know what it's going to be it's going to either yeah. be explosive gas or something else and that's just not not where you want to be in life nope. actually people get kind of upset when you when you try to get involved with their bowel movement situation they're like why are you so worried about when i pooped i'm like it's important man like right. i gotta know i gotta yeah. know what did it look like yeah what i'd rather have like? i'd rather have the patient that is telling me that they need to go rather than keeping me guessing about them going right so like if some like person comes in and they're like well I drink prune juice every day because I have a bowel mood at this time every day but you know big man boom I'm like fabulous I'll try to get you whatever you need because I know that that's your routine might be a little bit mm-hmm. different here because you're in the ICU you're a little bit sick but it's still good feedback right and then I'll meet mm-hmm. the people that don't tell me when they go and then I find out they don't go like they'll go like once every like three or four days I think I met somebody that went every seven days and I'm like how? like naturally like naturally and I'm like I don't know that your body is correct <laughs> how Ooh, that is that so possible <laughs> right that feels wrong <laughs> it just doesn't feel right I don't know I don't know are you sure you don't want Coalace and Senna and they're like well it won't work for me and I'm like okay well so there's one of two options here right oh goodness so you speak as well of the NICU kind of being not as mind stimulating as you want it to be very regimented, which I think is important for people to understand because babies are under a regimen. You have to feed them at certain mm-hmm. times. You to, this is certain times, but bing, bada, boom. 
Neuro, on the other hand, is sometimes, sometimes regimented, I will say, after working mm-hmm. in a neuro ICU for 11 years, you have your things to do, you know, someone is going to come in with like a bleed, you know, you mm-hmm. have to keep their pressure under a certain amount, you know, you have to do X, Y, and Z, they probably need mm-hmm. some labs, some blood draw, like all that stuff. Whereas but there's such a potential for chaos within the correct, regimen. That's correct. what I love. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, I was just going to yep, sick, right? Yeah, it's the best. In, in my I opinion. love it. So I, I, I was going to ask, like, is that the part where at, like in the adult world, you were like, yes, this is, this is for me because it, it's like a puzzle, right? It, this is yeah. stimulating for me because I don't know what's going on with you, but I also need to try to save your life mm-hmm. at the same time. And then it feels like what you're doing, like, yeah, it's so busy getting a patient ready, like an intubated patient with drains ready for CT. That is a pain, mm-hmm. but you know why you're doing it. And you know that what you're doing is valuable and you're getting information and you're able to like, like you said, work on the puzzle. Like it's not dehumanizing the patient, but it's looking at them almost as a problem that you need to fix. And that's like the beautiful, like sciencey mind, logical part of it. But you also kind of have to be creative because not all people operate in the same way. Right. Like you always have anomalies. Right. Um, and then whenever you have a great team, then you're also involved. You should be as the nurse, you know, having the resident and, you know, whoever the fellow coming in, you're looking at scans together and, you know, you, you should be a team with the respiratory therapist. Um, it's whenever it works well, it's, it works well. It's magic. I think. I think that's absolutely true. I think, I think adult sick ICU, especially neurosurgery is kind of like a ballet and Mm -hmm. have like, all these things happening. And if you don't do things well, quietly, right. Cause we can't have like yelling happen because then everyone's going to mess up because mm-hmm. so many things can happen chaotically all at once in this neural world that you need to like really trust each other and really oh, have yeah. no, yeah. like know exactly what you're going to do um, at every single time that you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's kind of like one of those things that not many people get while they're in nursing school because you really can't understand a full way of being an ICU nurse, especially a neuro ICU nurse in one shift or one semester, right? Just, I don't no. think that it's going to happen. And a lot of students get a little bit frustrated when they have this, they have this mindset about this ICU and it's just not what they thought it was going to be. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. unfortunately, not every ICU is A, going to be the same. B, you're not going to see you know, the same patients anywhere you go and see, I don't know what your expectations are because I don't know what you want to experience and like what that means for you. Right. Creating that meaning for students is, is super difficult sometimes. Um, and even kind What's of like so abstract, to, yeah. right. Cause like, right. There's, there's no other place in the world where you feel complete and total ownership over another human being. Mm-hmm. for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. It's so strange. Like I am your protector. I am your provider. I am making sure your heart is beating. Like I am doing right. all these things for 12 hours. And again, like each ICU kind of does that in its own different way. And, you know, the sense of responsibility and the knowledge, because that's another thing is how does your, how, like, how do you learn? Because some a neuro nurse and a CVICU nurse, totally different thing. Correct. Like, like the way the medications work, the way you're treating the patients, like the entire system, like it's so different. And I don't think you could ever really know that until you have a basic experience, which 
I don't know, I tend to tell people like, probably this is an unpopular opinion, but to start out on a SICU or like a trauma ICU, because you do kind of get a little bit of all the patients or a MICU. And then from there, like, if you're interested, then maybe go into a neuro ICU. Like I was lucky enough where the neuro ICU I started out in, we did get a lot of SICU patients. So there was a little bit of overflow. Um, and so that, that was kind of like my way to expand a little bit because again, neuro is very, very specialized, even within like, like ICU nursing is specialized, but neuro ICU is like, that's very niche. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, and I don't think that you, that your quote unquote unpopular opinion is that unpopular. I think that's a pretty good ooh, thing. Why? Well, I, 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 so at least for the nine, like seven, eight to nine, you know, students I have a semester, right. I kind of, kind of want to gather where they want to go to in life once they graduate and try to like, you know, help push them in a way that they kind of want to. I have a very mm-hmm. strong opinion against starting in the ED. I don't think you should do that as a new nurse. No. Or right. guess what? At John Hopkins, they're now trying to hire new grads as I see you float pool, Nicole. Im- immediately. No, nope. No. I see you flow pool, CVICU, neuro ICU, sick you, make you, oncology ICU. That's as dangerous as like, can you imagine? No, I I can because it's as dangerous as when I hear um, Mm -mm. agencies hiring new grads as Mm. travel nurses and then they, I was not aware. Yeah. They, and then they flush drugs through A lines and they kill people. I'm like, how, how is this not? a thing where we have just decided to ourselves like we can't do this right like I I love travel nurses the travel nurses we have right now are fabulous I have nothing against travel nurses but I do think agencies sometimes are overlooking some things for the sake of a dollar and that's very unfortunate because there are good nurses who do deserve to be good travel nurses as well and I think when you say to yourself like I'm going to start in this flow pool and experience everything but do you know everything right have you really experienced I don't know, every kind of adult population, a crashing he- hemon patient. Can you imagine? Gonna go to the MICU or, you know, a, a person in the HPCU that needs to go to HVI now. I don't and also know who's safe. orienting them? Who right. is their preceptor? Because right now the float pool is made up of travelers. Like I would not feel comfortable precepting someone. Um, like John Hopkins, I'm not completely familiar with all their policies. Like I'm not staff. That's right? very like, important to, to tell a nurse, right? Is if you're mm-hmm. going to an organization and I try telling people not to always go to those organizations with big names because it yeah. doesn't mean, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Like I th- people think it means something, but it, at the end of the day, you really want a culture that supports you, that is going to fight for you. It's going to be mm-hmm. like great for you to grow in and thrive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not dangerous for you um and that the policies actually protect you right yeah and there's a lot of places like you're saying if you're starting out into a float pool and you don't understand all the policies or how to like interact with things i don't know how that's going to like fix fix the problem right mm-hmm. and it's going to be very dangerous for you and quite honestly probably put you at a very dis- high disadvantage for your license yeah i would always recommend with new grads if anybody's listening to this start off with the unit not the one that sounds the coolest because the first year is going to be hard and you're going to learn wherever you are like whichever unit has the best 
culture because you want to feel really nurtured. You want to feel like you're able to ask questions. And I was so lucky where my uh, shout out to Jean uh, back in Pittsburgh. But anyways, um, like I, I was in a place where I felt so taken care of. Like, obviously, you know, you're working on a unit. There's going to be a little bit of drama wherever you go. But you want to be able to feel like you're, you can just be the new kid and ask the questions. And you don't feel like, you know how like some people, it's almost like when they're new. And I felt like this before. So, you know, if, if anybody, if this resonates with anyone, like you almost have to get a little defensive and be like, oh, I know things. I know things like that's not, that has no, that kind of attitude has no place as a new. Correct. Like, Correct. like 100%. honestly, none of us know everything. So if anybody comes at you and challenges you or says that you should know X, Y, Z, they are projecting, right? Yeah. And I, I, I just say like, you know, if you meet even a nurse with 30 plus years experience, this just happened, no names involved, but they were, they were coming to our unit <clears throat> uh, to be a travel nurse. And they immediately wanted to know why they weren't going to be in the ICU because they had 30 plus years of ICU experience of X, Y, and Z, and you should be grateful that I'm here. And I'm like, whoa, oh, <laughs> why, why, like why would we, why would we want, first of all, you know, come to a place and just start yelling at people. Right. Yeah. I, I don't care in my opinion, like how many years experience you have. And, and the, this person, I know where they come from generalized mm -hmm. area. So I understand the culture that they went through. It's not, it's not a correct culture. But I do understand that was an old school way of thinking, right? Of being this ICU nurse for 30 plus years. And here we are. But, but when you travel, like they're, you need that flexibility. That's the correct. Thing. That's why like correct. a lot of these people go into it and then they get, I mean, like, yeah, I, I've gotten into contracts where I've been not happy with the positions I've been in, but that, I mean, that's kind of like what you're going into, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I, I completely agree. Um, so when you decided to go into travel nursing, was it because you like to travel or was it because you wanted to experience other things? What was the ultimate decision that yeah. made you decide, Hey, I'm going to go travel a little bit of both. So this was before COVID I started traveling. Uh, was it 2017? I believe. Yeah. I think it was 2017. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I remember it. Like the dates are all coming back. Oh my goodness. Clean <laughs> Dion's um, all coming back. <laughs> amazing. Um, it's dang, it's been a while. Um, but yeah, it, I think I got I got bored. I started getting bored. I started understanding like the game. It wasn't a game anymore. It wasn't a, as much of a challenge anymore. So um I wanted to learn more. I wanted rather than climb up the ladder because that just did not feel appealing to me mm -hmm. um just expand my knowledge yeah that's that's really what I wanted and I wanted to go to new places now I will say I am a bit of a homebody so it's it's been really funny because I'm not the typical travel nurse where you know they're kind of like oh I'm so you know so cute with my little yoga mat and like my one little suitcase and I'm gonna be you know so so carefree no like I, I bring my crystals with me ever. I got like, I got like my little car hat. I'm bringing things I don't need at all right now. Nicole. You know, like, bring I, home with you, right? Like bring home with you and do you and mm -hmm. just be in your space. Cause at the end of the day, like, you know, I feel like 
chaos and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably experience chaos wherever you go as travel nurse. Mm-hmm. And then at the, at the end of the day, you want to come home and not experience that chaos and want to experience what you know as home or relaxing, or you can just shut the world off. Exactly. I so want those my are crystals. Little, I want <laughs> you, my little crystals. Yes. And I want my little, my little diffuser and my little humidifier. So my, I don't get a dry nose. Like I'm high maintenance and I'm okay with that. So, uh, you are also your Nick, shout out to those high maintenance, that, right? your routine. Huh? Yes. And you are also your Nick, you baby, you have your routine. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> have my routine, like routine. <laughs> I, but it's my routine. Nobody's telling right. me. Right. That's true. That exactly. True. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so with your first travel company. Okay. Cause I, I do want to clarify this with students that always ask as well. Mm. Do you get benefits in terms of health benefits? Do you have to pay for your own benefits? So I know certain travel companies will offer you benefits. Now that doesn't look like a 401k. So you kind of have to go and investigate um, alternative options as far as retirement, which is something that you should be, everybody should be aware of. Um, everybody should be competent in how they're saving up for retirement, um, whether you're provided with a 401k or not. That's something I think I, it's important for everybody to be aware of. Um, and I actually pay for my own insurance because there are times where I am not covered in between contracts. And personally, okay. that felt uncomfortable for me. Some companies will offer you uh, medical insurance, but you're only covered while you are on the payroll. Um, so, and then you can choose to continue, but it's very, very expensive um, to cover yourself when you're not working. So I know quite a few people who do that. Um, I, however, opted, like I said, to pay for my own insurance privately. It's expensive, but it makes me feel a little safer. And I do change between travel companies. Um, I've worked for four total, I believe. Um, but I do kind of lean, I, I do end up going back to the same one quite frequently because they, they are, they are a good company, I find. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And then do they, so in some, in some of my experiences with talking to others, it's, it appears that like when you're doing your taxes, because taxes are important, everyone's going to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. Do you get paid with 1099s or do you sometimes get paid with W-2s? Like, do they treat you as like a full-time employee? Mine are all W-2s. Mine have all been W-2s. That's I awesome. will say though, like it gets so confusing when you're working with different states. Okay. Um, because even though you have a taxable residence, like I think my worst was when I had to file, this was... It was, la- oh, it was last year. Oh my goodness. I think I ended up filing for four different states. Wow. It was a nightmare. Yeah, let me tell I you. Bet. It was, so I think from now on, like I'm done with TurboTax. It did me <laughs> like, honestly, like it worked until it didn't work. So yeah, you know, that's, that's all good. Um, <laughs> they're, they're getting sued right now. I think actually no way yeah, because, they're, because they they mislead well TurboTax doesn't think this but the but the class action lawsuit states that they mislead their customers into thinking that their tax prep is free and that's correct because it's not free at the end of the day you have to pay like I don't know 20 bucks or whatever it is to do your tax filing and then mm-hmm. if and then if they there's other things hidden in there so I do like a self-employment um one as well because mm-hmm. I do a couple things that require that 
Mm-hmm. And that's pretty, I mean, it's not pricey, right? But it's pricey enough where I'm like, why is tax prep like this expensive? And yeah. then it becomes confusing because for, for me, I have a W-2 and then I have a couple 1099s. So I have to write things off. And mm-hmm. I say this because I've met some travel nurses that are all 1099s. Um, even travel PTs are 1099s in some companies. Mm-hmm. And that becomes tricky, right? Because at the end of the day, when you have your price that you're getting paid and you're not mindful that at the end of the day, it's probably like 50% about, right? This is the, yep. you know, is how much is going to be taxed. That's how much you're actually left with in terms of what you make. And I don't think most people understand that, you know, sometimes it can be very expensive to be a travel nurse as much as you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely, I completely agree. Like, so the, the numbers look great, but I keep telling people, if you're interested in travel nursing, like just talk to people, talk to people because you need to hear things because a lot, like a lot of the things I didn't know going into it. So the good thing for me was that the money was not the main attraction. And when I started out, like the rates were not even close to what they are today. They're they're insane. Um, So like I was making about the same as I was making as a staff nurse, because you're paying for short-term housing. So unless you're staying with somebody, you know, you know, there's that you're constantly like there are hidden expenses everywhere. So honestly, like I really was not making much more than a staff nurse. So I think if you're really smart about it, um, yeah, you, you know, you can make quite a bit, um, nowadays. I mean, the rates are slowing down, but with taxes and with, like I said, like you even mentioned, like it it can be very expensive. Yeah. And I think you, I think you drive home a really good point that I try to make to everybody, right? Everyone is looking for the top dollar. And I feel as though, Oh, no one's mental health is worth it. Oh, no. Right. So, so (laughs) no, 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 (laughs) no. Like I stay away. Yeah. So I can remember people leaving for $10,000 a week contracts and I'm like, but what are you walking yourself into? Right. The worst. (laughs) Right. And at the end of the day, I, I invite people to come on this podcast just to talk whatever they want to do. Don't really care. But you know, sometimes it helps to talk because a lot of times there's such PTSD that has happened from a things that you never thought you were going to see that you saw. Yep. And the blank. What are you going to do when your little adult brain goes slightly manic from the PTSD? And then you blow all that money that you made at that contract for a trip to Mexico that you didn't need to go to. (laughs) Right. Correct. 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 And I, I, I see that a lot. I'll be very honest. Yeah. I, I, um, I, you know, and I, yeah, I I don't really know how much to really drive home this because there was so much that, that people left their jobs for. And I, and I get it. People need money. They want to do X, Y, and Z, but they also have to deal with what they're given. Right. And that was always the thing, right? You're, it Mm -hmm. didn't matter if it was during this pandemic or before, whenever I would look at travel nurse prices, because I kind of had a period where I was like, I think I'd like travel nursing. I don't know what it's like, but I think I'd like it. And then I would meet people <laughs> and it always seemed like so just jaded and like, I don't know what was going on with them. Right. But they weren't like, uh, the friendliest. this was years ago. Not like right now. I've met mm-hmm. some fabulous people now. Mm-hmm. And 
I was kind of like, well, and, and they're like, yeah, like you don't know what you're walking into. You don't know if this hospital is going to be friendly to you. The nurses might not be friendly to you. You don't know if you're walking into like, cr- like a crossing of, of like a uh, union picket line thing that's going on. Yeah. They do yeah. have those contracts too. I knew a person yeah. that, that did that for like, she would go away for like two weeks and make like $7,500 crossing a picket line. And this was like six years ago um, doing Dang. this stuff. But I'm like, how do you go in and get yelled at? <laughs> for doing your job right mm-hmm. and I think that people need to be more mindful of that not that people don't deserve pay we do deserve pay but we deserve pay enough that our mental health is also protected right yeah deserve pay enough that you have resources available to you at the end of a tough contract or during the tough contract that you can kind of you know talk to somebody about it go do something mindful about things go have your crystals whatever you need but it's provided for you. You don't, have to, you don't have to bring it with you to your next, to your next home. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's always tough. <clears throat> Along like, the way, you mentioned something. I go just, ahead. I want to yeah. put this yeah. out there now. I, I, on one of my podcasts, so I don't know if this is something that anybody can benefit from mental health services are quite expensive if you're not covered by insurance, but I believe there's an organization called emotional PPE so if anybody's in need of mental health services, counseling, um, I believe that, so it's money that anybody can donate to and they just earmark it to uh, healthcare professionals. So I just wanna put that out there if anybody's interested um, or feels that they wanna explore that. I don't know the details, but I think just Googling emotional PPE um, might be beneficial. I will for- also include it in the show notes. Oh, that would be great. And that way people don't forget about this and I won't forget about it because I will forget about it if I don't write it down. Mm. And <laughs> then also like, that's a good, good thing to like, just kind of like, for me, like I do like to donate money to certain causes. And that's, that's one of the ones that's on my list for whatever, like in a month or two, it's kind of like mid, mid range. Yeah. So yeah, that's um, awesome. Did you have, a, did you have any favorite places that you went to for your travel experiences? Ooh, well, I think all of them had, like, I always kind of had a great, well, except for, I'm so sorry, but I mean, <laughs> Philly was a tough contract and everything was closed down. So Philly was not my favorite, but not because Philly isn't great. Um, but I think all the other ones, like I was able to find something to love. Greenville was really cute. Um, the area is adorable. And I just happened to be in a nice little pocket where everything felt very inclusive. There was a lot of, um, you know, people were very mindful of issues. I didn't feel like I was in the deep South, um, in a lot of ways, but there was still the Southern hospitality. So that was such a cute place. It was, it was kind of artsy, very, you know, surrounded by nature um like an hour away from Asheville so that was a lot of fun um I really did like Long Island that was also a fun place to work uh not a ton of nature though so I I do like to spend time outside and um so it you know it, it was another great experience I love being by the beach the winters are terrible but um (laughs) you know that I'm trying to think of like other places I really enjoyed um I'm in Baltimore right now and um like there are some cute places but it's such a small 
city. I know that they're cleaning some of the places up right now. So I'm finding some cute areas like outside of Baltimore uh, to kind of go explore. But um, I haven't spent a ton of time in the city exploring yet. So I, you know, I still have a little yeah, bit. Yeah. There's a lot of food here. in Baltimore. I haven't, I haven't myself explored Baltimore, but like there's a lot of food <laughs> from what there I've is. told. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> And same with Philly though, like Philly's oh. like a food place. So I, I have TikTok, I'm not ashamed, love it. Me neither. I love TikTok. And I keep getting videos of like Philly TikTok and people going to eat at all these places. And I'm like, where the heck is this? Because this mm-hmm. was not around when I lived there. And mm-hmm. Philly has just exploded into this food scene and restaurant scene and bar scene that like, I don't know where these places are, but Philly Talk tells me. I'm wondering though. Philly Talk. Philly Talk. You bet. <laughs> Philly Talk. I'm wondering if there's a Baltimore Talk somewhere in there that will that will give you like the lowdown of all the good places. You know what? I'm gonna have to do that because I found like, and it was an accident because for some reason the post office was closed between noon and three. So I parked my car. And I was like, I don't not like I don't want to move my car because it's just gonna be a nightmare. So yeah. I was walking around and I fe- like just kind of fell into this cute little cafe that felt very like like 80s grunge goth perfect a breakfast place it was so cute that sounds very refreshing and different from like you know starbucks or like an era you know it was amazing amazing it was so fun and like you know if i can i like you know i do love me some good some starbucks but like if i can (laughs) i do try to like support like the smaller uh places too if, if possible so yeah it, it's tough like you can't it's it, I think I think Baltimore talk is the way to go because yeah. <laughs> I gotta see it to want to go Google yeah. Maps is gonna do it for me I don't have a Yelp account so yeah I was wondering how as a travel nurse you really explore your city that you're in right like how does one just go to a city because sometimes it, like if you don't get if you're there for three months or whatever however long you're there for and you don't really get along with the staff you're working for which can happen how do you find mm-hmm. places to go to to still enjoy yourself while you're f- fulfilling a contract Ugh, I go off of recommendations so I mean if you don't get along with your staff that's kind of tough because I do I mean patients a lot of the patients now that they're talking to me again since not all of them are intubated prone and sedated <laughs> um, so I mean a lot of them you know making conversation they actually have some really great recommendations as well so uh, you know patients that that takes up at least like one trip in the room, you know, when you're like, what am I going to small talk this time? You know, sometimes you're not in the mood to small talk, just ask them like, you know, I'm new to the city. Where would you recommend to go eat? If you, you know, where where are some places you recommend? Um, Yeah. I've never been great at Googling things like, or Google maps or Yelp. So it's always really been like recommendations. I, I feel like a lot of times too, Google can be very biased towards yes. businesses, right? Yeah. Really supporting those places that I like to call the hole in wall place. Cause if there's a good hole in the wall place, I'm there. Um, mm-hmm. There's been some places in Harrisburg that my students have taught me about. And that has not been like, you know, in the forefront of like a Google search. 
Um, Do you remember that Ariana bookshop place cafe or it wasn't Ariana. It was like, it was like the bookstore church converted to a cafe that shut down just a little bit ago here in here in Harrisburg or in Pittsburgh? It was in Harrisburg. No, it was in Harrisburg. Um, I wrote a, I actually wrote a Google review about it. Uh, I remember. So I was like, I need a scholar. No, that's still open. Um, let's see. I can actually tell you. I see. Good. It was Agia Sophia. Agia Sophia oh. Coffee Shop. You don't know what? It, well, it's closed now, so <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, that was like so many of... places. It's okay. There's so many places that have closed um, down there. Really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, sad. there's things that have closed because of the pandemic. There's yeah. Lots of top restaurants that have shut their doors. Um, yeah. But then that just means that there's going to be new things opening up. So, I mean, I'm here for it. You know, that's I think true. there's a lot more that needs to happen in Harrisburg anyway, because it's such a, it's like second street and that's it. But there's so many other places that things are that we don't really know about because Google Maps doesn't tell us all, all that stuff or recommend where to go. So here we are. But I'll have to, I will have to do some more exploring because I found Miss, Sa- Miss Saigon. I think I went there. Are they the um? Are they the vegan place? No, I definitely the faux place that's down the road. (laughs) That's down the road. I know I ate there. I remember, and it's like by some car shop, right? Uh, it's down the way from a car shop on Paxton Street. The the one that I've been there, thinking of, and then across the way a little bit down the road is Bangkok Fifty Six which is an exquisite Thai restaurant. I don't, I don't, I'm not. That one I never went to. I never went to that one. It's really freaking good. Let me Mm. look up that one because it's freaking amazing. Um, I know Miss Saigon. Yeah. What? I I know Miss Saigon. I totally remember that place. Miss Saigon is in, there's one in Palmyra. The one I'm thinking of. That's the one I went to. I went to the one in Palmyra. Yeah, that's That's a good one. one. Yeah, that's a good one. The one I'm thinking of is called Little Saigon. All the Saigons, here we are. But Little Saigon is literally a, hole in the wall restaurant in front of the Asian grocery store that you just kind of find by happenstance like you don't it's not really like in your face it's not really advertised anywhere but it's the best bowl of pho in uh, your life it's so good my mom still raves about it to this day and we haven't had it in like three years if that tells you anything oh, so good. yeah mm. so good oh my goodness so speaking of travel nursing and where you are right now with coming out of this sort of PTSD sort of sort of thing and mm-hmm. I guess you were kind of mentioning like your um quote-unquote recovery from that process for you what was that recovery like because I I do want students to really hear this and kind of explore that because I'm not shy with telling my students hey if you have any kind of issue whatever that you need to talk about you're having a moment you know, you experience a death and you're not comfortable with that. You're experiencing a gift of life patient. You're not comfortable with that. Something hits you and you're like, oh, damn, this is not for me. Like, talk about it, right? Because I don't want you bottling it up. So yeah. what was that process like for you? Uh, I think it was really, really tough. Um, I think that PTSD among healthcare workers has been a thing long before COVID. I think it's just that so many of us have, like, it, it, it happened on such a scale that it's just now really being talked about, um, which is, it's a good, that's a good thing. Um, so I think, I think the recovery process is complicated. 
um, it's, I think, very individual. So for me personally, that looks like looking for therapy. Um, me personally feeling disappointed because I didn't feel that the therapists that I sought were um, literate to nursing, really. Like they didn't understand, again, that ownership over a patient. And it's not just a death, it's your patient that died, right? Like that means yeah, so yeah. much more. Yeah. And unless you know what that feels like to have a patient that you're fighting for, you don't really know what it's like. You, it's it's just something you have you have to really experience I think um and so I think for me it was just exploring different avenues and the only places where I truly felt seen were at work speaking with mm -hmm. co co-workers like that was the only place where I really felt understood now I was blessed and I still am to have family that they are so loving and they're so kind and they've what made me feel so supported is that they know that they don't really know. They still were able to hold space for me. They still were able to listen to me. They didn't always understand. And they were very verbal about not understanding. So there was never me having to fight and say, you don't understand because they knew that they truly never could. That's um, really important to hear, you know? So important. Because yeah. like, you know, you... It, whenever you're trying to explain a trauma to someone, I, what I need, and I, you know, I don't want to project this onto anybody else, but what I specifically need is just to feel safe and to feel heard and to feel um, seen. And if the person is reflecting back to me what they are able to in a very transparent way even if that's not everything that feels supported to me that feels yeah. supportive um so I think what's really important for people is finding uh finding safe supportive and loving people whether that be therapists family or friends because or co-workers you know because not everybody is in a place where they can listen and be present with what you're feeling because it can be a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then also self-tending. I think self-care, you know, with, it's been marketed. It's now seen through a very capitalistic lens of, um, and very sterile, right? Like self-care is face masks and a mani-pedi right, right. and this and that. And I think, really getting to know what you need and being gentle with yourself. That's something that I've tried to learn. Um, so my trauma took a lot from me in the sense of I'm not who I was. I used to love to cook. I used to love to work out. I used to love yoga. I used to love being in spaces with people. And I feel like the trauma that I experienced in the specific ways that I did um, changed me. And those are no longer a part of my life. And I think a lot of grieving had to happen on so many levels. So really yeah, giving yeah. yourself space and time. Um, also, whenever you have triggers, 
I think recognizing those triggers and really just um, reminding yourself that you're not broken, believe it or not, your brain is doing its job to protect you. I think I felt like I was going crazy. I really did. I felt like I was going absolutely insane. Like I was broken. Um, and I'm still experiencing triggers, but on such like they're now so much more manageable because I have taken the steps to really prioritize my mental health over just about everything else. Right. Um, and that feels really good. You know, having those boundaries that I've put up to protect myself and to take care of myself helps me feel safe in my body. Um, so I think I wish I had books to recommend. Um, I think just learning about it was really helpful because a lot of us nurses, we like to know things and we like to con like have an understanding of what's going on, but a lot of us don't want to actually look at what is going on within us because that can yeah. be really scary, yeah. you know, yeah. whether it's medical issues, mental issues, like mental health issues, or just general health issues. Like it can be really hard. I mean, you, you see this all the time. I'm sure Nicole, like healthcare workers, specifically nurses, we can be the last, we're so good at going to appointments, but we can be the last to go get that biopsy, you know, we're the last to go get that blood test. And it's because I think a lot of us know what the worst looks like and we're just not prepared for it. So I think just really filtering the information, but getting information can be really helpful, especially for mental health. You aren't broken. Your brain's just trying to protect you. Your lovely, lovely brain who has experienced something so traumatic, you know, that it, it's anything that reminds it of those specific things. It's going to put you in a fight or flight. So you're not broken. Um, but it is going to take a little bit of time to rewire and to feel okay and safe. And, and that's okay. I think um, you just broke all that down so well. And I, I mean, I'm coming from a place where it's really hard to describe the recovery process of anyone's trauma, right? Mm -hmm. And you were just like, boom. <laughs> and I, and I, I laugh about a it a lot of times. Like, I'm like, you know, it's kind of like one of those shared humor things, but I really do appreciate how much you took a look into yourself and mm -hmm. kind of opened up about that recovery process because you're right. It's not, it's not an every, like, it, it's not like a one case fits all thing right? Mm -hmm. One type of therapy might not fit everybody. For me, uh, back in March of last year, I had a, I had this high point of stress. I don't know where it came from, probably from everything else going on. Uh, I had two colleagues uh, pass away from who knows what. It just kind of happened. And it was about that time when everything political was, was kind of heightened, right? You kind of had this whole thing, you know, swell and, and, and really just kind of like hit like this part where I was just kind of like, I just need to just not, right? And those triggers for me were very poignant to what I was focusing on. So yeah, I did a lot of things. I gave up Facebook on my phone. Yeah. Um, not that I looked at it so much, but it was kind of like I realized that I, you I did can't a lot of reading. control what you are going to Exactly. Do. Exactly. They, yeah. they can feed, it feeds you in this way. And we know this now from the whistleblower and we know this now from documentaries and all this other stuff 
that it has warped what we believe is real into what is not really real and can push yeah. you into a box. And I realized that in terms of the way I was feeling about things that I couldn't control, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I said, bye-bye. I, I set boundaries, which is number yeah. one you, you say to do, right? It's, it's very hard to do that, but it's very good to do that in the, in the same sense, right? It's self-parenting though, because really what you have to realize is that there's a part of us like, and this is so true. You know, we all have an inner child. We really do like that's scared that needs nurturing that needs caretaking. And whenever you are traumatized, like there is a large part of your brain that is not functioning, like chemically, the higher order of thinking, you're not able to process it, process things. And I feel like people that have, that, that have freaked out about any little thing, mask mandates, whatever, whatever it is, it's not the ending code related. It perhaps is one of those things where they're so focused, they they don't know what else is real. Yeah, right? everything's fogged up that they're just gonna yeah. spat out whatever they want to to make them sound mm-hmm. like it's rational when mm-hmm. it's not really rational. And that was kind of the of, of the tipping point as well as you know you see you see people literally go from being a a quintessential normal person, quote unquote normal person, and then to, to streamline down. <laughs> the hill and yep. into the deep end of the ocean you're just like you're out to sea and i'm gonna let you be there because i i'm not gonna rescue you you have to no. learn it yourself mm-hmm. um the other thing that that i think really hit home was capitalistic self-care and i really you know i i love essential oils i'll say this very loud and proud them, right i used to sell them but i don't anymore because during the pandemic I realized how much people were still very capitalistic about someone's self-care and not necessarily being mindful of the fact that people are losing their jobs, right? Not being mindful of the fact that they might not be able to, to live tomorrow because this virus is going around. But like, it's such a, it's so privileged. Like the people who benefit from Correct. putting forward that image are the people who are already benefiting from our capitalist system. So primarily white people mm-hmm. um primarily mm-hmm. already affluent white people again 100 so like again who, not who are married who are married, married. Yeah. who also in the grand scheme of things have a very focused religious aspect towards one particular method right like it's like one yes. way uh, yes. i've noticed that a lot in in things and i'm kind of like I have gone down the wrong path and I need to just not go down that path because I didn't realize yeah. I was in that path until I don't know when it, when it kind of clicked, but I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm tapping out, mm-hmm. you know, but you're, you're hundred percent right. It's, it's, it's very privileged. It's problematic because yeah. not, you know, not only are we appropriating from a lot of cultures as well mm-hmm. um, with a lot of the things that were coming in, like we see this on Instagram all the time, right? Like, especially with this new spirituality movement coming in, like there isn't a lot of awareness or um, people aren't really educating themselves on certain practices that actually come from real people and real religions that are still being practiced today that are very sacred. Um, So I think you know, really getting to know what actual self-care and self-tending is because it's not a face mask that is self-care. It's the act of doing something for yourself and preparing something for yourself in a physical way. Right. And it's feeling that behind it rather than the actual product itself. That's put, that's putting that forward hundred percent. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And my sister, my sister, like, if, like, if I were to give her a face mask, she'd be like, I do not want this. <laughs> like self, self-care to her looks completely different. And I think understanding and really getting to know yourself, like what feeds you, what nourishes you and what makes you feel like you have taken care and tended to yourself, not just like taking care of in a physical sense, like that's, that can be what it looks like, but I'm not talking about like, you know, trimming the verge, right. Shaving the legs, all that hoopla, mm-hmm. you know, like we're not, preparing our bodies for any specific thing it's what makes you feel like you've truly taken care and nourished yourself yeah I I think too is is gonna be a very big topic I don't expect us to talk about this like fully but in terms of nursing in terms of what we've been told um, we really need to start to decolonize nursing into what Mm. we've been taught in nursing school is not actually what we should be practicing 100% and there's a lot of there's a lot of things that cover under this whole um, practice of decolonizing nursing. I first learned about it, I think, both at Penn and then also on, on Nurse Twitter of all places, and really made my mind think. I'm like, oh, I'm like, wait a minute, this is not how it's supposed to be. And I don't know why people are hiding things from nursing schools, right? But all of those things, like you know, like the self care. And all that stuff is taught in that capitalistic way in a colonized structure, right? And if you decolonize it, it's more about ritual. It's more about connections. It's more about anti-racism. It's more about all these things that we can really help each other with. And that I think is the whole overarching theme of self-care perhaps, and even perhaps like um, PTSD recovery in itself. Mm-hmm. It's a very broad topic. I'm not very specific in it right now, but it people need to read and understand what decolonizing nursing is before they actually get into it. You know, be mindful of that too, but that's all kind of like, you know, where we need to, where we need to go and not really Uh keep with all these things that are big names and capitalistic structures and things like that. Cause it's really harming people that we don't know what's harming. And because so many things keep burning up, like somebody keeps burying these things underneath a rug somewhere and then we don't get to hear about them. And then like all of a sudden it's this problem and bad things happen and that can't happen anymore. No, there's no space for that. And I like these movements, these devastating things that have happened that have, you know, really spurred a lot of political movements. You know, I'm, I'm really happy. There's still a lot of work to be done, but I think there is no more space in America to continue in the ways that it's been functioning. Like we're slowly clearing that out. And again, like racism is still very much a thing, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm seeing more and more white people being accountable for their own learning and trying their best to dismantle a lot of things that we've just internalized. That's right? really good to hear too. Yeah. Cause I don't, I, I mean, I talk to people, but I don't talk to people that experience things outside of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So I love hearing how people are trying to dismantle things and trying to start over again and not really, and, and, and really owning up to the things that have happened and shouldn't happen again. Yeah. yeah. You know? I think, so this was like another podcast that I heard and it was so beautiful. It's that 
you are not personally responsible for what your ancestors have done, but you are responsible for, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher it, but you're responsible for your beliefs and the way that you show up, Correct. especially, <clears throat> but especially acknowledging what they have done. You're not yes. responsible for them, but you are responsible to the people that have been harmed because of them. Yeah, and you're also you know? responsible to unlearn everything that you've mm-hmm. learned yep. and ruin it from, from perspectives that you feel very uncomfortable yep. with. Yep. And yep. I will say, like, I have had this thought in my head for the last, like, two weeks about unlearning and relearning. And I'm like, this has happened to me so many times where I will step into an art museum and I'll see a picture and then I will step away from it and then go back to a picture. And then I, it's the, the thought is completely different. And then, yeah. I'll read about, and then I'll read about the picture and it's not what I thought, right? And then I'll go to someone else who's an expert about the picture and they have a whole different perspective on that. And that's exactly what this is, right? It's stepping into a museum and realizing that you're wrong four times out of five. And on the fifth time, you might get some sort of little bit of, oh, I kind of understand this, mm-hmm. but you still don't have full understanding because you're not that picture and you're not the artist that painted the picture. And so that's that kind of where- was- beautiful did you like that because i've spent a lot of time thinking about that like that (laughs) because it's 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 that's what it is right you you have to realize that that people are works of art and they've gone through different traumatic experiences and different beautiful experiences all at once but you're not the expert in them right you're Mm -hmm. not the you're not the person that can understand them fully yeah they're the painting and the artist in the same thing and they're trying to describe what their life is like. It doesn't matter who you are or how to understand, you know, whatever. But you have to be mindful that you, as a white person, are wrong four times out of five. You probably more yep. than that, right? And just unlearn things and just take it in and say, you know what? I'm 100% wrong. And how do I how do I relearn this and rewire my brain? Because some concepts for me, I will say, were very like difficult, like in terms of like solving a very complex math equation, difficult to understand how, how something happened or how it was supposed to be. So take that as, as you will, but that's kind of what I feel as though should happen um, in terms of how you decolonize things and how you kind of reframe things and reshape them too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Anything else? That was a very deep combo. (laughs) No, that was good. And I, and I love it. And I think like, it's so important to talk about it because like you said, it came up in a, in a nursing post. What was it on like Instagram or something? Some what? Instagram, the decolonizing? Like, oh, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm active enough where I just pay attention to things on nurse Twitter. And oh, that's what was nurse Twitter. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very eye opening If you follow the, the right people who are not trying to harm other people. Yeah. Um, and, and really listen to people's stories and really try to understand with a very open mindset about like what they actually mean by what they're posting about and not mm-hmm. get offended, right? You can't get offended at somebody's own personal lived experience, their own personal mm-hmm. trauma, or even yeah. like their families. So yeah. Yeah. If you're on Twitter, check it out. It's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. But well, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Yeah. No, I'm so <laughs> happy that I was able to be here. Yeah. I look forward to having you on again in the future. <gasps> yeah! <laughs> <laughs>